My name is Mark Solomon, and this is Never Was. I never was a prodigy. You know, that guy, that girl, the person that's going to do the thing, the person that's going to do the thing better than anyone else and with ease. Why? Because they were born to do it. Okay. Just naturally gifted to be awesome. I was always more of a C plus participant type, you know? It's bred into the minds of a lot of young American kids. You can be anything you want. The presumption being, at least for some, when I figure out what that is, I will be great at it and the whole world will know. (laughs) Then life takes off or whatever and the next thing you know, you're closer to 50 than you are to 40 and you can't manage to get a podcast out once a week. Because damn it, life is for the living. More on that later. Seriously though, life takes time. One day you wake up and realize, I don't have time to figure out if I'm great at anything because I don't even know if I have time to be great at anything, even if I do. I'm closer to 50 than I am to 40. Oh my God, I'm basically dead already. Now, it bears saying, not everyone taps out on the whole potential thing after they hit 20, okay? My old buddy and roommate, Jose Cuello, aka Joe Cuello, once said, the older I get, the less likely it is I'll ever be great at anything. Now, Joe said this around the fire pit in the backyard of the infamous St. John house. You know, lots of dreams were born and died there, okay? Stavesacre pretty much winded out once before there. Initium Eyewear was born there. It's just, you know, it was one of those places. Anyway, Joe, he went on to make a documentary and he revolutionized the way MTV processes their music placement. That's kind of a big deal. Also, wife and kid, or kids. I haven't talked to him in a long time. Hi, Joe. You're for sure not hearing this. Point being, he kept slugging. Eventually, he did achieve greatness. Plus, he painted the art that was the cover of the Staves Acre Dennis and Mars EP. All right? Dreams do come true. Great, yes. Prodigy? I don't think so. When I looked up prodigy, Google's first definition of the word was a person, especially a young one, endowed with exceptional qualities or abilities. (laughs) Looks like that one passed me by. (laughs) I mean, sure, I could draw a little, I could write a little, sing a little. I'm even pretty solid at remembering useless information like what college the Raiders' fifth-round draft pick came from last year. Texas Tech. But exceptional? Nah. My guest on this long overdue, long overdue episode of Never Was is my longtime friend Todd Stevens, a.k.a. XL. Todd was and remains a prodigy. Like, that word legitimately applies. Multiple instruments, vocal abilities, countless songs written, recorded, produced, and so on. I don't know, he could always pretty much do everything. And he can even teach people how to do it. I mean, come on. Once upon a time... I sang on one of Todd's albums, the XL and Death Before Dishonor record, Sodom in America. We're talking 25 years ago, folks. 20, 25 years ago. Turns out Todd, XL himself, wasn't done with that and recently just, you know, 
wrote and recorded a double album of stuff that quite literally sounds like it came from 1992. This is not an easy thing to do, but then again, for a prodigy, you know, you know? When Todd officially started DBD, I'd already known him briefly as this kind of enormous personality. You know, we'd bump into each other around the Southern California music scene. He'd come to crucified shows and stuff. And, uh, I, I'd meet him at places. I'm not sure where or when I met him, but when I did, I don't think he'd written any of the DVD stuff yet. And I remember him specifically because back in those days, you know, he was different. <laughs> Here, one particular characteristic, 10-inch Afro with a target painted into it, red, black, and green. You know, you don't see a lot of guys that look like that standing behind the stage at a crucified show, but there he was. <laughs> I feel like he wore a big trench coat too, usually hiding something. You'll have to stick around to find out what that is. But he's always laughing, always seemed to have 15 things going on in his head. And I don't know, he was a genuinely sweet guy. We hit it off. Uh, the crucified and Todd hit it off. I mean, he liked hanging out with them fellas. And uh, he was just an easy person to be around. The friendly prodigy. <laughs> Solid Christian guy with legit belief, but also, and this is especially important in those early days, the desire to start something, something eternal. And he didn't just want to talk about it. He didn't just want it. He did it. He put himself out there and, you know, he took some risks. And alas, as we all know, life takes weird turns. Those directions no one, even a prodigy, sees coming and occasionally on the road of life, we find ourselves over the rails. Sometimes you get back and uh, sometimes you stay over them. <laughs> Thankfully, Todd is back and uh, he's with me tonight. As with so many of my guests, one conversation couldn't possibly scratch the surface of such a life, but we're going to see what we can't get going tonight. But before we do... Let's get our minds right, shall we? The late 80s and early 90s were a weird, wild, and slightly mysterious time full of expectation and experimentation. I know I was there. Don't all old people say that about when they were young? I don't know. I guess. Whatever. It'd be impossible to recap all of it, um, but I'd have to do an entire show and... I'm sure such a show would appeal only to the people reliving that time period because honestly, I don't think anyone else really cares. <sighs> I still might do one though. <laughs> anyway, not now. Uh, from movies to music to just general pop culture and what was considered mainstream society, everything changed. And it's relevant to this show in particular and my guest. So at least for the sake of Excel and for the time that DVD came out, Please allow me this brief indulgence. You got to understand what was happening in music at the time. From about 89 to 93, 94. It was nothing short of the corny tagline, a music revolution. <laughs> a revolution, yeah. Whatever. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's what MTV called it. But it was true. You know, mainstream music transformed right before our eyes, like entirely. And uh, for me, it started with a cassette single that I bought when I first moved out on my own. My brother Jason and I were, we were always hooking up cassette players to the cars we drove into the ground. And they were always hooked up wrong, <laughs> like always. 
car speeds up, cassette speeds up, you know. Yes, my brother, Bitwise Phenomenon, was at one time as terrible at me as me at electronics. So there you go. But I digress. So I bought this cassette, okay, the single of this band I read about in Maximum Rock and Roll called Jane's Addiction. And the song was called Mountain Song. And the flip side of it was standing in the shower thinking. And it was like high-pitched, whiny, and baffling. I did not get it at all. People at the record store were talking about them. People at my shady junior college were talking about them. I got this thing, but I honestly, I didn't want to. You know, they seemed a little gimmicky. Green dreadlocks or whatever. Isn't that weird? Like at one time, I didn't want to like something I'd never heard of and was freaky because of whatever. Anyway, it was by all accounts different. So, you know, out of habit, I just thought I'd try. But I also just, out of habit, didn't want to. I, I don't know if I can explain that. Anyway, I bought this cassette single thinking, I'm not spending 10 bucks on a whole album. What if they suck? Like, I'm sure they're going to. So anyway, I buy this single and I play it in my car. But because my car sounds like it was hooked up by a third grader, uh, it sounds terrible. And I'm like, relieved. I remember that vividly. Yes, this new next big thing, you know, isn't. Ah, <sighs> sigh. Fast forward just a little bit, and a um, guy from my school was like, hey, have you heard Jane's Addiction? And I was like, yeah, they suck. And he goes, why? Did you listen to them in your car? Because your car sounds like shit. <laughs> it's true. And uh, I'm all embarrassed. No, you know, it doesn't. I hooked that stereo up by myself. <laughs> like that fixes reality. Anyway. So we go over to his house and he's like, listen, I'm going to play you this Jane's record and they're going to blow your mind. And uh, I sit down on his couch, all skeptical. And he has this enormous component stereo, the kind that costs like five grand now, but literally everyone had back in the day with these speakers that were so big, so much bigger than any other electronic thing that you have in your house right now, except maybe your giant TV. Anyway, he puts the needle down on this LP and I hear... over ritual comes out shortly after you know uh, everybody's talking about i mean everyone was hot about this band uh perry's in the video by the pool i remember seeing this on mtv all the time he's by the pool with his high water spandex bell bottoms like like horizontal stripes hideous anyway the revolution is in full effect and then of course this happens And it's legit. <laughs> There's no doubting it. There's no questioning it. There's no resisting it. It's a complete revolution of music. And not just music itself, but formats. I mean, the temporary death of the LP and cassette. Total takeover of the, over of the CD. 
content completely changes. You know, what was once considered alternative rock uh, exclusively for college radio and snobby record store people is now 100% mainstream. And largely what had been mainstream rock just died suddenly, tragically, like in a car crash died. Uh, And it was like the power got pulled on it, you know. But it wasn't just rock. It was kind of everything. But in particular, one style of music uh, that a lot of people sort of looked at as the next punk rock because it was so disconcerting. Uh, Created primarily by, you know, angry black guys. Many folks thought of it as hardcore hip hop. Okay, but suddenly mainstream rap music went from. And then things started getting all mixed up because that was what people wanted. Okay? There was something about this whole corny terribly named revolution. It gave people a taste for changing things up. It was like a safe rebellion, you know? Sort of turning things upside down. And again, there's no time to recap this fully, but with tonight in mind, we'll focus on the mix of rap and rock. Now, I'm not sure if it started with... Get from in front of me! The crowd runs to me, my DJ is warm. He's next, I call him Norm, you know. He can cut a record from side to side, so with the ride, the glide, some people take another suicide. Soul control beat is the father of your rock and roll. Music for what, for which, and you call a bad man. Making a music, a music, but you can't do it, you know. You call them demo. Oh, we ride the bus too. What you gonna do? Rap is not afraid of you. Beat is for Sonny Bono. Beat is for Sonny Bono. Run the MC for DJ could be a bad. Spin on his own feet. Get you on your seat. Beat is for Eric B and LL as well. Hell. Wax is for Anthrax. Still like your rock, bro. Or just the many, many bands who'd existed on the periphery, okay? You know, the weird hybrid bands playing blended styles of music. Uh, that there was no place for in commercial radio, suddenly it's nothing but demand for them. And they find themselves way, way out in front. There's the chili peppers. There was fish bones. I wish every day the sun would shine. Take me to another place in my mind. Where everything is beautiful. And no one wants to be no sun. Faith No More 
a band that had been basically nowhere, changed singers all of a sudden, huge hit. They might have had just as much to do with it as anybody else. Try a bunch of weird shit and see what worked. Um, and here's another thing. Very rarely were people all that critical. Like, a critical or even negative review of an album just was not very common. And certainly not from the perspective that reviews are critical now. It was definitely not like, like someone hate typing, trying to drawing blood with their fingers as they pound the keyboard, you know. Back then, what was considered weak art or not very good, you know, was anything typical, anything that was just regurgitated. And rather than brutalizing it in some magazine, it just kind of got ignored. Writers seemed more eager to turn people on to the latest thing that they were listening to. You know, a, a critic, a music critic was like, was your cooler older brother. <laughs> you know, anything that took chances automatically got a little love. And uh, because that was what was in. Anyway, as I remember it, Although Faith No More's epic was a monster hit, monster, uh, Rage Against the Machine gave a true band's perspective to the mix of rap and rock. It was like perfect timing. Then there was this huge influx of rap rock songs. <laughs> Not a lot of them were great, but Rage, legit. And that got things whipped up, you know, fever pitch-like. So much so that eventually uh, this film, Judgment Night, comes out. And I honestly, all I remember are dudes walking in a warehouse. <laughs> I literally don't remember anything else from it because I feel like that movie was made entirely for the sole purpose of pairing rock bands and hip-hop artists together and putting out a badass soundtrack. That was kind of amazing, if you think of it, you know, especially if you think of it now. Like, please imagine a rap group today singing a song about jumping into a pit and roughhousing with his buddies. I, I don't see it happening. Anyway, uh, my favorite song from that soundtrack.
remember when I used to be dope. Yeah. I own a pocket full of fame. But look what you're doing now. I know. Well, I know. I lost touch with reality. So good. Back to the point. As far as I can tell, all of this rap rock blending had a common denominator, okay? It was all rock based music with a rock background from rock musicians. Even Rage. I mean, a lot of people still don't know that Zach De La Roca came from a freaking hardcore band called Inside Out. One way or the other, occasionally a rock band would sort of dabble in rap music, you know. And of course, some idiot <clears throat> would do an awkward solo album full of the stuff. Uh, while some groups like the Beastie Boys actually did it amazing and they were born to do it. Probably prodigies, I don't know. Anyway, but again, most of it was rock perspective of rap, okay? Very rarely would the fields reverse until... Body count. <laughs> oh, body count. Hugely popular because Ice-T was hugely popular. Um, also at the time, the PMRC was conducting their reign of terror. Oh, God. Even thinking about it now bums me out. All right? It was so dumb then, it seems completely absurd now. It got a lot of attention, and it made a lot of waves, and it got a lot of airplay and a lot of MTV play. The thing is, I don't think the songs were there. There, I said it. I'm not sorry. I think it's worth saying music from his perspective had not been heard yet, so what was there to compare it to? <laughs> Probably something that a lot of rap artists were thinking about when rock guys were doing hip-hop albums. Oh, God, I can't think about it anymore. Listen, this is all bringing us back to the point. And my dear never was is your patience is now about to be rewarded because you have been set up. You understand the time frame within which DBD was created and born into. This guy didn't really have a model. He just, like a prodigy would, pioneered a new one. I think that's worth noting. I think it's, well... It's worthy of the title Prodigy, okay? That guy went out there on the road with the baddest band in the land. And instead of going into that myself, let's just go hang out with XL, Todd Stevens of XL and DVD. the first time I've done an interview with somebody that I know that I haven't spoken to f for more than a couple minutes in, in years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Usually there's a little bit of catching up that gets to happen first. Sure. Um, but man, I mean, when is the last time I saw you XL? Oh man. It, it, it had to be in the nineties sometime. I don't know. Maybe, maybe 95. Wow. <laughs> Somewhere when you still when you still had a ten inch afro. Yeah, <laughs> I think uh, I know that we. Uh, my wife and I, 
went down to a restaurant that you were uh, working at down in Orange County somewhere. Okay. And uh, you bought us some some food. That that was probably 1994. And uh, we actually, uh, right around that time, uh, maybe I had a shot at being a stave saker. I don't know. We, we we tried to get together and start working on some music, but that's right. That's yeah, right. Didn't uh, didn't uh, pan out, or I don't know. I, I, I was I was kind of messed up in life at that time. I was. Yeah. It, it was a training period for me, for certain. But because <laughs> <laughs> I remember, I remember some conversations on the phone that are are forever etched in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I probably would have been working at the Hilton maybe at that time. I know it was great food, man. It had some like had like uh, something I had that had some rosemary. It had like you know had the real rosemary and yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah. It was good. I mean, it's been we're talking a solid. I don't want to freak you out, man, but we're like talking about a solid two decades. <laughs> no, ain't that crazy? <laughs> <laughs> that ain't right, man. <laughs> yeah, it's been a long time. How's this? Just for some perspective, the little boy who had just been born when we ended up on tour with the Crucified and XL, uh, Nico, that little boy is graduated from college now. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. We're old, man. (laughs) Very, very old. (laughs) But it's funny because people, uh, you know, people that are 10, 15 years older than us are like, oh, you're just a pup. I know, I know, which scares me. Like, how quickly is it going to pass before I'm 50-something years old? It's coming. So before we get to 50, let's go back a little bit here, Excel. Yes, sir. Like, I, you know, most people, I think, hearing this would be familiar with you from the Excel and DVD record. Um, not, not too shabby of a record. But I want to know... Where did you come from before that? Because I don't even remember when I met you. I feel like I might have met you at a crucified show. Yeah, that's where it was. You know, that's how. Uh, how did you get there? Where did you come from? Well, I'm from Riverside, California, born and raised. Okay. Uh, born into a great family of musicians. My my father uh, is still a doctor. He was a doctor back then, medical doctor. Okay. Uh, real famous doctor in Riverside. In fact, he, he's won like the like the Man of Riverside Award, like four times in the last decade, you know? Wow. Okay. Uh, currently right now, he is the, uh, he is, he is the human resource man for all the medical in all of Riverside County. So if, okay. if you're going to be a doctor in Riverside, a nurse in Riverside, if he says no, then no, you're not going to be one. Oh, shoot. Yeah. Yeah. Detail so, power. So you know how big Riverside County, out like to Palm Springs. I mean, Riverside yeah. County is huge. So he, you know, he's been a doctor. Uh, I grew up in a, a nice neighborhood, uh, went to private schools till eighth grade when I got kicked out. But uh, my parents, uh, since I was the youngest in, in a musical family, there was mu- musical instruments laying around the house all the time. So by the time I was five, I was picking up the guitar, picking up my, getting on my brother's drum set. And while he was gone and playing, he never wanted me to play him, but I'd sneak <laughs> on him and play him. Okay. Uh, it was probably the Kiss rollout scene, like when I do the drum solo and throw the drums all over the, you know, push yeah, them all yeah. over. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I had an older sister who had a band, uh, a band called In His Will. And in fact, Eddie Kagey was in that band. I don't know if you know who Eddie Kagey, he's uh, uh, like uh, Phil Kagey's nephew, I think. Weird. Okay. But yeah, he was in that band. And then when I turned 13, I joined the band. So I was the young guy in the band and started 
kind of writing songs a little bit, but I didn't actually start to write a whole lot till like my first episode of, of religious experiences of uh, coming to my first really come to Jesus moment when I was 17 years old. And then I, I started writing music and about, about a year and a half later, uh, hooked up with Bob Moon, who I actually went to high school with. Okay. Uh, and me and Bob weren't friends in high school. I, I knew who he was. Uh, you know, he was the dude coming driving up in a Porsche to school. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know his his dad had money, so he he was he drove a Porsche for the first couple of years that he had a license, and then then it, it went. It was the green Bronco, and when he got the green Bronco, that's when we started hanging out. And I, I don't know how I found out through the grapevine. I don't remember how I found out, but I, I had found out that Bob Moon had become a Christian. Okay. And so we connected and, and then he was, I mean, he was on fire. He was on fire Christian, you know, and he was into everything and the Christian music. And, you know, since he had quite a bit of cash, I mean, he had all the Christian music. He had everything. That might've been the first time I heard about you guys was, was through Bob okay. Moon and, and, you know, he knew, he knew soup, he knew peace, he, his, right. his brother was dating Andre Walton's sister. Oh, so Andre from Arise Skates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so awesome. Andre would be over. I mean, you know, I started coming over there and me and Bob started doing music together. In fact, we were in a band for about a year together. Pretty good band uh, that nothing ever came of it. But um, so when I'd be hanging out, these guys would just show up, you know, Andre would show up, Soup would show up, Peace, the Dynamic Twins would show up. And I didn't know who they were, you know. Mm-hmm. And so when they 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 caught wind of the fact that oh this dude plays bass oh he plays guitar oh you know right. and you know and I, I was I was good I mean I was definitely good enough for playing bass lines on their stuff and guitar parts so the the, the guys that kind of wrote me in first were, were the twins next thing you know okay. I'm like I'm doing shows with the twins um uh you know because back then with the hip hop scene it was just a DJ you know turntables and or recorded beats. Uh-huh. So I started kind of adding a live element to some of their shows because I'd come and I'd, I'd play drums. You know, I could my timing was impeccable. I, I, I'd follow right to a to a track and, and you couldn't tell it out. You know, I was, right. I'd be right there with it. In fact, I think you guys came to a show where I was playing drums for a soup concert or something. And I remember Jim was right behind me. But <laughs> but anyhow, so that's kind of what happened was that these guys noticed that I could play and. Man, I just love to play. For me, it was never about the money or not. I just, hey, can you play on this? Yeah, absolutely. You know, can you can you play a show with me? Yeah. So when they started doing those concerts, like the Unity concerts, where they had all these hip hop groups with like the Gospel Gangsters, you know, Idol King and all that, I'd be on the stage with the Twins, with Freedom of Soul, and with Soup, you know, sure. and playing bass or playing guitar or something. And uh, I loved it, man. And 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 so that that's kind of how the whole thing it happened. I, I met those guys because of Bob Moon. Met Bob Moon because we went to school together. Um, and uh, just, uh, you know, then I guess just my talent kind of opened the door for me kind of making my way into the whole music scene, if you will. Or, yeah. Twins went on tour, DC Talk, the Newsboys back in 91. Um, and they asked me to go. So I was uh, playing the bass for them. And then when I got back, dude, I had I had deals on the table. I don't, and I don't know. If, I know Renee was responsible for some of that because I'd put out this little demo tape. This is uh, Renee Vasquez. Yeah, Peace 586. Mm-hmm. He, uh, you know, he handed my tape off to Joe and Gene or one of those. And he talked to one of those guys. And he's like, given the XL spiel, like, you need to hook this dude up, you know, and kind of hmm. told them who I was and what I was doing. And, and 
So when I got back from the tour, from the DC Top Tour, the label you guys were on at that time, Ocean Records. Yeah, yeah. I think that dude offered me to be on a, a compilation. Yeah. Arcade Records had already put me on a compilation. Uh, Arcade was, you know, a, a subsidiary of uh, Maranatha Records at that time. Right. And then Joe and Gene offered me like a full a full deal. Obviously, I, I took the, the deal with Joe and Gene. Is this for Broken? Yeah, but by that time, they were called Brainstorm. So I, okay. I, I can, they changed their name to Brainstorm. Right. So I signed with them in the early part of 92. It's kind of funny because I was supposed to do a hip-hop record. I was going to be another one of their hip-hop artists. And actually, by that time, I, 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 I'd, I'd become pretty good. I'd gained some respect with, you know, those who were who the acts at that time, which is, you know, Soup. Okay. In fact, uh, uh, Chris was supposed to produce it. Uh, Soup was going to, you know, make the beats for me and stuff. And, um, of course, I would have added live guitar and things like that. But, Mm-hmm. Um, so we were we were all the way done with our pre-production. I was going to put out like 18 songs, you know, those hip-hop albums had all those songs on them. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going to put out like 18 songs. So I had 18 songs done, but on the side, I was messing around with these XL DVD songs. And I didn't even know what to think of them. It was just, you know, I'll, I've always been a rocker. You know, I, I like rock more mm. than hip-hop, and, but I was just going through a phase at that time where it was appropriate for me to kind of be hanging out with a hip-hop crew. Um, so on the side, I'm making these songs. In fact, the first song I made was that song, uh, die, uh, the die racism song. And so I go and I, I show it to Gene just in passing, like, Hey, check this out. You know? And he's like, dude, you, you got more of this stuff. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I got, yeah, I got a whole album of this stuff. He's like, let's do this. And <laughs> I'm like, okay, let's do this. You know? And, and I, I mean, it was literally two weeks before we were go- set to go in the studio. I'm telling you what, man. I mean, at, at first, it, the whole thing, it took, you know, because I was part of the hip-hop crew. It, it just, it kind of threw people off, you know. They didn't know what to think. It's like, what's XL doing? You know, I'm like, well, to mm-hmm. me, it's like, well, I'm just doing what I've always done, dude. I'm a musician. I, 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 I You know, I was in a rock band before I even tried to rap, you know. And, <laughs> and uh, so it was just easy for me to to write rock songs and then make make the tempo or the beat to them to where I, I can rap to it, you know. The funny thing is, man, as I started making these songs, my brother, my oldest brother, who's actually plays drums for XLDBD, uh, his name is Tony. He uh, he was going to college at that time, and he he came home and he hands me the CD. He's like, "Hey, you need to check these guys out." And it was it was Rage Against the Machine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm telling you, man, their album came out five months before mine did, and I I was like, I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> You know, because man, rage is you know they're they're wow. they're, they're the junk, and uh, but it, it's kind of wasn't surprising to me that when my record came out, Epic immediately picked it up, you know, because rage was on Epic. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, there was other bands or like there was like experiments where you had like I think like Judgment Night, where you had mm-hmm. the rock a rock that. band that hooked up with it, or you know, and they did like experimentation, but. And that was probably like where the whole idea was introduced. But I think Rage was the first band that was like rock band with rap with rap vocals, you know. Yeah. You know, and then um, <clears throat> I'm, and I'm not too sure who was first or whatever. I mean, I just it, it's kind of cool reading the few reviews about myself and and being labeled as amongst the first in this genre, you know, and then also being able to be compared to some of the better bands. Uh, you know, I know some people may think that Limp Biscuit sucked, but they sold a lot of records and. I was compared to them. A lot of times, said I was better than them, which was always cool to, to hear. 
But, you know, um, even now, like with the records, the records I just put out, which I just basically, I blatantly did a record in the same genre, is basically like part two. Some of those songs were songs that were supposed to come out on my second album, but I mm-hmm. had a falling out with, with Joe. <laughs> uh. Kind of silly. But so some of the songs on this, these new records, it's just it's just serving up the people a second XL DVD album. Because um, sure. I probably wouldn't necessarily have done the same exact thing. Um, but since people liked it, you know, so that's why I gave it to them. Well, it definitely, it sounds straight off of, I mean, it's like a time machine. <laughs> <laughs> Something bad was going on Tried to build a tower to the height God stands on Being mathematical, demonically practical Nimrod the radical, the evil fanatical Was loving on his mother Rained all of the brothers The evil behind Bible split upon the others You need to think faster Take heed to the master The whole situation is a modern day NASA Test back to the pyramid if you think there's power Behind a triangle, you believe it's just a fable Crystals hanging on your mirror Demon possession is near Tears falling out of your eyes Realization is the reason why Demons and warlocks are witches brew Drink from the wicked jugs in your crew Because there's no way for you to stop the wrath to come There's no way for you to stop the wrath to come I didn't realize that you were part of the brainstorm thing, I don't think. Because all that stuff that was really, for me and for people outside of that small circle of friends, you know, mm-hmm. all of that stuff was a little mysterious. I mean, I think if if you heard the Ricky Michelle interview that I did, like I didn't, nobody outside of that group of people, including yourself and, and Renee, and Chris Cooper, all those guys, I knew you guys more than I knew any of the brainstorm uh, broken records people, you know, I didn't know right. Gene really at all. He was just kind right. of this mysterious shadowy figure, you know, Joey was Ojo Taylor. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, it just, yeah. So we didn't, they just didn't really seem like people you were ever going to sit around and have a chat with, you know, I'm just curious how that sort of came to be in terms of, of a record deal. And what was that like? Because for us, we were so clueless, man. We had no one looking out for us. We had no idea what we were supposed to do, where we were supposed to go, who we were supposed to sign with. But every time I talked to one of you guys from from that time period, it was just like this natural, easy thing. Like, how did that kind of come about? Did you get to know Gene and 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 something sort of a relationship formed there? Well, uh, you know, I spent the most time out of those two with Gene because Gene worked on my record. He produced it. Uh, we were all cool with each other. I, I used to go and hang out at the office every now and then, and Joe would be down there. Uh, we never developed like a, a deep friendship, but it was just kind of like, you know, we were, we were, acquaint- you know, good acquaintances, had good things to say about each other, you know? Sure. I, of course, since I was on so many of the, these guys' records, I mean, like, I think I played like 10 bass lines on the Tunnel Rats' first record. You know, I played <laughs> bass lines on, their, uh, on, on the uh, Earthworm record. Uh, I played bass lines and drum parts on, on uh, the first two of the Twins. I was all over the second album of the twins album uh, played a lot on, on Chris's third record. So, so I was kind of with Gene a lot because Gene was the guy producing all those guys' stuff. And I actually even got to rehearse with Adam again 
once, which was mm. was way cool for me because you yeah. know Gene asked, he's like, "Hey, will you play bass with Adam again?" He was having some kind of issues with his bass player. I don't even know exactly what it was. I kind of didn't care. I was like, I got asked to play with Adam again. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so, dude, I got to practice with that one dude. What's his name? Uh, John Knox. You know, the the drummer for Whiteheart. And yeah, dude, we were, we were, we were jamming. I mean, it was a tight band, you know. And and then by the time we were gonna do anything next, it was like, oh, Paul, Paul came back, you know. So, you know, <laughs> I was like, oh shoot, you know. I mean, not, uh, not like, not like. You know, it was shoot for me because, yeah, it would have been Yeah, cool. what a gut punch. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But, you know, you got to keep your original bass player. I mean, I wasn't like well, yeah. butt sore or nothing, but it was just kind of like. And then, you know, there was talk back then. I used to talk with Ricky Michelle about doing stuff with her. That was just always talk and never, nothing ever happened. Because sure. I, I'd show these guys all the other stuff I worked on. And back then, I was doing a lot of pop rock and just, you know, I didn't I didn't just do hip hop. One of the things that was always been tough for me as, as an artist is, which way do I go? What do I do? You know, because I like so many different styles of music and mm-hmm. do them rather well, you know, well enough to put records out. And it's like, what's my identity? You know, I, I never really had, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like people know me for this rap core stuff. And really, I don't really want to do rap core, to be honest with you. I mean, I, you know, I, I did it. I did it well. You know, then it blew up like crazy and then it kind of faded off to, yeah. you know, yeah. like, you know, what more can you do with this, you know? Yeah. And um, it's that same problem of of uh, that bands like the Crucified had, honestly, where you get you feel after a minute, you just kind of feel, I don't know, like how many times can I say how pissed off I am about something? You know what I mean? It's just not going to after a while, it gets a little samey and you got to reach out and do something, especially as an artist. You know, an artist is an expressive person by nature you you have more emotions than your seething rage which is funny to me because almost every one of these pissed off uh rock bands hip-hop rap core bands or whatever you want to call them like or punk rock bands even almost every one of them is full of suburban kids who've had it pretty good yeah right (laughs) yeah well i even 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 me you know i mean the funny thing in my life is uh, you know i like to I could sit in a group of, of a crowd of hoity-toity people and, and hold my own because I was I was raised by a classy man, you know. Yeah, yeah. We were raised. I lived. My dad moved right into a well-to-do neighborhood in 1960. I mean, before the civil rights movement was was completed, mm. you know. So he had he had some guts. He moved us right into a white all-white neighborhood. But in Riverside County, you know, or at Riverside City, I mean, you drive 10 minutes down the street and you're right in you're right in the hood. I mean, you're you're right in the ghetto. Mm-hmm. And so a whole bunch of my friends growing up were just straight legitimate thugs. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. k- kill people kind of people, you know, yeah. like I'm rolling, walking down the street with them. And, you know, my mom, when I became a teenager, she's like, wanted to know where I was. And I was like, well, I'm over here. She's like, well, can you come over? You know, can you come back? Can you bring those people over here? I was like, sure, mom. You know, so next, you know, we, we got a pool party going on in the backyard, 12 packs, and, <laughs> you know, cats hanging out there with, you know, I'm just, just crazy, you know. And, and uh, yeah. I'll tell you, when my parents let me do too much, they, they, they gave me way too much freedom because uh, they, they didn't know how to deal with uh, my brothers and I, you know, they didn't come out of the whole drug culture. They didn't come out of, you know, they were straight shooters, you know, yeah. and then in the next, you know, we're, we're partying and, 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 and sneaking the wool over their eyes for a long time before, and you know, by the time we were caught and busted for how we were living, it's kind of like kind of like a too late thing, you know, to yeah. to fix us at that time. And 
really the only thing that did fix us was was Jesus. Mm. But um, you know, so I, I I I rolled with some some cats that was like, oh my goodness, you know. So I mean, some some of the stuff that I talk about, it's not it's not fabricated. It's not me trying to trying to trying to sound like I'm harder than what I was. I mean, it, it was what it was, you know. Sure. I, I I missed prison many times. I missed it. Praise God. Next thing you know, I mean, a lot of this stuff, a lot of crazy living happened by, by the time I was 17. I mean, I, I was gone on the streets. When I was 17 years old, I just, I was never home. Yeah. I was just out on the streets. And, and um, so when I, when I became a Christian, I mean, it was kind of a radical change for me. And, and then I, I started hanging out with, you know, all these people that I hung out with. And I, I don't know, I didn't know where that's going. <laughs> <laughs> well, here. Let me, let me tell you something I remember. I remember hanging out with um, Bob Moon because Greg Muneer of The Crucified and Bob became buddies, okay? Right. So, you know, I think they might have done some of Greg's solo stuff over at, at Bob's little studio. Right. I remember that at, at that time, you, you we'd see you at a couple shows, you know, and uh, you were always very gregarious, you know, keeping everybody included and stuff. And, and I remember hearing about, everybody going to your house, like you had a kind of a recording set up at your house. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I had it completely pictured in my head and I feel like I might've gone there one time. There was like this kind of upstairs. I don't know. Um, but I remember that there were like, there's talks like you got to see Todd's, you know, wall. He had all these cassettes in there yeah. of stuff he'd recorded. And it was like, <laughs> <laughs> A minor vault and uh yeah man I'm about, I'm about a thousand songs deep what I remember from those days and you're probably gonna be super bummed that I remember this one of my favorite songs that you ever wrote mm-hmm. was this like super smooth like very commercial sounding R&B song yeah you're looking for the right thing Dan <laughs> You need to stop searching day, day and night. Hey, the, the right one. That was a hit. That was a I, hit. Dude, I always thought that this song is a hit. What are you doing? You know. Yeah, and, then, and then that's what that's what like some of the guys that were like hyping for me and stuff. Uh, this one cat, uh, Bernardo Sandoval, and then uh, James Timoney, who did a lot of touring with uh, with Chris with with mm-hmm. Soup. When I when I decided to do the rock thing, some of those are like they're like what. What's, what are you doing? Yeah, what? What? I, I'm, you know what? And Mark, to this day, me too, because I kind of had it made in the hip hop thing. I mean, I, I probably would have went somewhere where as people didn't know what to do with XL. And then then I, I, I didn't I could never find a band. I, I couldn't get a band. Todd, this stuff to me wasn't that hard. Todd, let me just tell you something, though. You know, I could have gone so far and this or that. You're talking to a guy who did one of the more regrettable albums <laughs> In the history of regrettable albums, okay? <laughs> right, right. You know what I mean? It hap- You make choices. You do the things you want to do. Uh, if it doesn't work out, you you get to sing the song of regret. If it hits, you always knew all along that this was really what you wanted. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's always the way it goes. Yeah.
some shows and we, we, you know, you went on the road with the crucified even as I remember those guys, you know, those guys did a couple, uh, did you guys are the best, you were the best band I've ever played with. (laughs) I mean, just, I mean, I'm not saying just cause you're the crew. I mean, it's just the truth is I think we, we we were back in a room. Like when, when you finally decide, okay, let's play some XL songs. We're like, okay, here's, here's your part. Here's how this goes. And here's, okay, let's go play it. And like, <laughs> dude, just nailed the stuff. I'm like, well, that's Jim and yeah. Jeff and Greg. You know, I mean, <laughs> I get to sit back and do nothing, uh, and uh, come up with ways to ruin my life. So you know, yeah, but I mean, you even dropped the best verse on the whole album too. So I mean, you know, I mean, <laughs> well, just you know, the, the the crucified helped. That was you know, that was one of the better things that for me as as XL DVD was was touring with you guys and, and you that guys tour. Was so freaking fun, dude. I, I mean, as I remember it now, I'm sure at the time it wasn't as fun. I think we probably were on the road for like three weeks, and I think we played nine shows because <laughs> that was with full, uh, with Mortal. Yeah, Mortal, and then yeah, Mortal, and then of course, uh, uh, well, Applehead, and well, right. oh yeah, you know, so Mortal, yeah. yeah, with Mortal, and then. Uh, XLWD songs and a couple of Applehead songs. Or right, Greg's band. So I remember being in that RV, dude. Oh my goodness, that thing was, I don't know where that came from. Dude, dude, let me interrupt you. D- do you remember, do you remember when we were in Arkansas? On 100%. I was going there. <laughs> <laughs> I was going there. Oh my gosh, man. <laughs> a bunch of white guys on the road with this black dude with a giant afro. <laughs> experiencing, you know, observatory racism. I mean, it was just. <laughs> it dude, was, that was scary, man. I was scared. Uh, I, I walked back over. I was like, dude, these guys are fo- they're following me, man. I think yeah. one of them like, chewing on a twig, you know. And <laughs> <laughs> Was that in the bathroom or something? Like you I was on the payphone. I was over across the, on the other side of the parking lot talking on the payphone. And I, as I'm on the phone, they pull up real slow. And they're just all staring me. I mean, just staring me, like trying what to. What you doing me. here, about, You know. Oh and I'm like, uh, I think I better get. I better go. <laughs> <laughs> I hang up and start walking over to you guys. Then they drive over there to the RV. Oh, man, what? they just maybe they were just fans. <laughs> <laughs> no, though I remember. I remember though talking to, uh, to Jason Truby, you because know, he, oh, yeah, he yeah. was there. Remember, you, you we met Living Sacrifice there right, in the parking right. lot. So. Uh, I talked to Jason because I didn't know those guys very well back then. I was like, "Were you were you there when when we met up? You know, the crucified in Little Rock?" And he was like, "I think I was." I was like, "Yeah, man, these guys, you know, they, I know the locals were just sweating <laughs> me hard." And he's like, "Yeah, you, you weren't in the right, you weren't in the right <laughs> town." <laughs> yeah. But I remember, like, your, your road manager, he was strapped. He had a piece. And then oh, you guys all came out. I don't know if they yeah. were confused because, you know, Jim had the mohawk. You know, you had the shaved head. With oh, the- I guarantee it was like, <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. What are we getting into here? We thought we found a stray. <laughs> and now he's, but who are these dudes he's with? What is happening? Like, I'm sure there was just a lot of confusion. Maybe they're like, these guys got it covered. Let's just move on out of here. You know? <laughs> uh, okay, correct me if I'm wrong, because I've since slept, okay? I feel like you used to carry something around with you. Hot sauce. <laughs> A bottle of hot sauce. Tabasco, Tabasco, whatever. Louisiana. <laughs> 
You had it like one time. It just popped out of nowhere. Like we were. And matches and matches. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Because respect. You have to be respectful. Right. I mean. Yeah. If you let loose, you got you to gotta light the match. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. I remember um, close quarters. You know what I mean? It was a lot of close quarters. You had matches with you and you had the, the hot sauce. Like we were at a restaurant and it just like. It was like, whoop, it just popped out. Like, where, where, did, that, <laughs> where did that come from? Yeah. That was, uh, that was, and those are the things that I remember of that tour. I mean, you know, I think, I think the, the shows weren't great. Um, and I think we were all a little scared. You know, you're on the road. It's, that was probably one of the first times I'd ever been away from my home, you know, and on tour. And it was the Crucified. So it was like basically a bunch of, uh, a small, extended family forced to be in the same room with each other. I mean, we bickered a lot, you mm. know, and I, I remember the very first show, we got stiffed. Remember that you, uh, we got sent to a hotel and then yep. the guy's supposed to have the room set up and all that. And then you get there and there's no rooms. Uh-huh. Go we, back to try to chase the dude <laughs> down. It's like, he's gone. Yeah. Those, <laughs> those were not the days. Those were not the days. I remember, uh, you know, Gary, because we called it La Cuerta, the, his little yeah. pistol. Yeah. And uh, he wanted to he wanted to go shoot that guy. <laughs> <laughs> now, were you with us in El Paso? Yeah, yes. man. And we stayed at that. We stayed at Richard Ramirez or uh, that, that the Richard Ramirez cult. And that, mm-hmm. that pastor said, you guys can stay here if you want to, but I ain't staying here. They're, they're after me. OK, so here's the here's the thing. I've I've talked about this. You and I have not caught up. We didn't plan this conversation, but we are going to talk about this right now because that was one of the craziest experiences of my life. Yeah. That town. It was so creepy, you know, and we showed up and I remember everybody was irritable and kind of bummed out. And we got to the, we got to the guy's house and he's like, yeah, so uh, you guys can stay here. Um, and I'm going to stay at a hotel though. Cause there's some people trying to kill me. There's uh, blankets in the back. There's plenty of towels. There's food in the refrigerator. Like, oh, oh, hold on a second. Could you go back to the part about <laughs> there's some people trying to kill me? Like, I remember that very clearly, but I feel like it's such a weird thing to say that maybe I manufactured it, but nope, no, that's dude, real. Dude, that was the, that was the Richard Ramirez coven. He was talking right. about. We in, went in to the- that. To that place, there's like the kids there. I'm trying to remember if I'm getting two things mixed up, but I remember at one point being in El Paso and going to this kind of like, like a youth center type of thing. And they were working with these kids. And this girl said she was Richard Ramirez's sister or something yeah, like that. Yeah, and she was, yeah. and it was, she was scary. I mean, she was. Dude, even mm-hmm. at that bar, do we play? It was like it was like, right. like like they knew or something that we yeah. were in town or something because there were some people that were sweating us, man. There was like, the guy he called himself Skinhead, and he was standing in the back of the crowd. He's like this native dude. He had long hair. Yeah, and yep. uh, he looked like a metal guy named Skinhead, of course. And that dude is back there just mad dogging me the whole time. <laughs> now, uh, do you remember that the promoter for that show? brought two girls uh, that were kind of girly friends of his. One of them gave that guy a ride home and uh, gave that skinhead guy a ride home. 
And the next day, the promoter called us and said, man, that girl, she took that dude home and he like tried to force himself on her in front of her house, in front of his house. Like, yeah, I do in remember the car, about that. Yeah. In the car. I mean, you know, it's what we're we talking about here. 93, 92. 92. It was, it was the tail end of 92. I mean, you're out there in this. It was just my first time really experiencing how big the world is. Outside of going to Cornerstone and then hopping on a plane and going right back to, you know, washing windows a couple times a week for 40 bucks so I could eat some food and, you know, buy some soda. You know what I mean? Like basically having no care at all in the world to getting on the road and driving around and just seeing how big the world was and how much I didn't know about it. Those, that kind of changed a lot of things for me, I think, you know? Yeah. But that was like, that was the telling of the crucified too, pretty much. It was. See, I remember so, you guys were you were show, you were showing me some songs, you know, able to hear some of the songs that you were going to do on the possible third album. Yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, like uh, "Straining Life." I remember hearing "Straining Life." I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Because yeah. that that's still my favorite song from Crucified. Straining. I do. I thought those last, those last couple songs that we wrote together were definitely there. But man, that band was we were done. We yeah. were all everybody yeah. wanted to do their own thing. It's you know again. Like, what did you say earlier? If I'd have just stuck with, you know. (laughs) (laughs) If the crucified could have just worked it out. starting to become pretty good friends, Todd. And I remember a phone call <laughs> while I was in my Nebuchadnezzar phase, you know. Did um, I say some crazy stuff to you? Oh, man. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, I had moved to Southern California. I was pretty messed up in the head. 
um, really kind of not sure what was going to happen. The crucified is is uh, is frayed at best, and then shortly after moving to Southern California, we completely broke up. A lot of the support system that was around me sort of deteriorated, mm-hmm. with a few exceptions, you know. And you and I tried to stay in touch because, I, like I said, uh, you know, we were we were getting to be pretty good friends, and right. but I think we both were just the season was over. Now, those are those are jacked up times for me. I actually right right at the right at the right when I got back from tour with you guys, man, I, I went full scale off the off the grid. You know, I mean, uh-huh. like just I started messing up. I started partying again. I, I I backslid, if you will, into my into my beautiful wife, who I'm still married to, but uh, you know, she was straight. She's a street chick, you know, and, mm-hmm. and partying and and all that, and and she was nice to me. <laughs> so, <laughs> So, you know, so we hooked up and, and next thing you know, it's like, oh, dude, I, you know, I'm doing drugs again. And my album had just came out. Wow. I mean, it had just dropped. And like, it, it's kind of like, I mean, of course, a few years after that, and I'm looking back, I was like, dude, how did, how did I, how did I get there? You know, how did that happen? And hmm. just completely blindsided. And I know and by the time I, when I played, I played Cornerstone and I got this entourage with me of just thugs and just, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, we're, we're, we're all staying in the same hotel room. You know, we're going oh, and getting, getting booze and, and, and at the same time I'm preaching, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it, it actually wasn't funny at the time, but you know, it, right. it, it, yeah. it uh, it's kind of funny now, but <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Now we're good. Yeah. Uh, it's funny to me. I mean, there was a time you called me one night. I'll just jump right in there. Well, you called me one night and you were like, not the same dude. I mean, you know, it just wasn't even the same guy that I was talking to. And there was, you were like, Mark, you know, you, you, you do this sometimes. You do that sometimes, right? Ah, uh, no, man, I don't really do any of that. And, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I drank, but I just, that was not part of my, that wasn't my thing. I wasn't, I, I didn't, I don't know. I didn't struggle with the booze or whatever. If that's, if that's the way you say it, I don't know. Right. I don't know if I really believe in any of that to a certain extent. I think some people may have chemical issues and I do think some people just like to get hammered, you know? Um, for me, m- my thing at the time was, was women, you know, right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't need any alcohol or drugs to, to debauch myself fully. I, I was just fine on my own. Yeah. So I had no real concept, you know, and I grew up in a, in a household where, you know, my parents before I was, you know, before Christ came into our lives, my parents were pretty hardcore uh, raging party animals. If you want, if you will. I mean, my dad was a hellraiser, man. They, they, they did a bunch of drugs. They drank a bunch of whiskey. They rode motorcycles and flew hang gliders while using drugs and drinking whiskey. You know what I mean? They did crazy <laughs> stuff all the time. Yeah. But a- as a child, they never put that around us. We never saw any of that. You know, we yeah. just didn't understand the behavior. The, the parent acts on, on these polar, in these polar ways. One minute they're doing one thing, the next minute they're doing another, and you have no idea where any of it came from because you're a kid and you don't know that chemicals are involved, right? Right. So, so here's my friend Todd, who's always laughing and boink, there comes the Tabasco sauce, you know, like <laughs> that guy 
calls me up one day and is talking about not only do I do this and do I do that, but we got to do something about these guys in the trees, Mark. <laughs> oh, man. I was telling you about the tree people. Yeah. <laughs> what? You know, there were people in the trees watching you, apparently. And if you look up in them, Mark, you can see them. You can see them. They're, they're jumping from branch to branch. And I'm like, what is going on with this dude? I don't even know where this is coming from. So, uh, Todd, where was that coming from? <laughs> uh, dude, I, I was jacked up. I went, I went back to how I used to live. You know, I was, was partying, was running the streets. I changed my, I changed my audience, people who I was with, you know, and, and uh, I, I went back to the stuff that I actually had been saved from, you know. And, and, uh, and my question is why? Why did you do that? I know what you did, but I want to I ask, I'm going to pose it to you a little more pointedly. Do you think... Part of that was a response to an expectation. Like there was an expectation during those times that this is what rock and roll people do. This is what people with a legitimate story do is they do drugs. And you know what I mean? Like we, I I feel like it was an insipid plan from the enemy, you know? Well, I think you're very right about that. Um, I, I definitely got blindsided by the devil, you know, cause God had one plan and the devil had a plan and, and I, I suckered to the wrong plan. Um, uh, I, I, you know, my, I believe my wife was used very much in that, although at the time she didn't know. She was just, she was just you know, I, I believe she was put into my life by the enemy to try to, 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 to ruin me, you know, mm-hmm. to just completely ruin me. You know, as it is, or as, as the Casting Crown song says, it was just a slow fade. I mean, I just started yeah. kind of moving away from the things that, had been dear to me at, at the time when I was a happy guy, which was Jesus, really, just flat out just Jesus and yeah. being in the word and helping people out and being nice, being friendly, you know, not hating on anybody. That's not rock and roll, man. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, you know what, man? I, I you know, when you, you see things more clearly in hindsight. I think that God protected me from myself. If I would have went famous or if I, you know, if, if I would have went POD, you know, cause you know, my record dropped before theirs, their first album, quite frankly, it, it wasn't very good compared to how they sound now, or even since the late nineties, you know, mm. uh, if I would have went POD, I, I, I don't, I don't think it would have been well for me. It, hmm. it, the, the fame, the, the access to women or party and stuff, I, I, I would have, I would have crumbled. I didn't, I didn't have the character then that I thought I had, in under severe and intense pressure, I, I crumbled, you know? And then w- once I started partying again, or that first time I started drinking again, I, I, I exhumed or displayed the characteristics of an alcoholic before the time I was 17. I, mean, I had liver pains by the time I was 17. I, I drank wow. bad from 13 to 17 and partied hard. So once I tasted it, you know, got, I can't remember, uh, actually I do remember, you know, there's this one guy in my life that used to always show up and if I gave in to him and I went and did something with him, and this kind of this this happened for me periodically all throughout the whole decade of the '90s, mm-hmm. you know, where I I'd, I'd I'd be doing well for a couple of years or, or a year, and boom, I'd crash and I'd be jacked up hard for a year. Then I'd be on the mountaintop again for a year, and then I'd crash hard. Just huge vacillation, and and I I, I couldn't really understand why this was happening to me. I mean, really, I mean, I, I, I didn't know what was there that would make me 
do some of the stupid stuff, you know? And then, I, of course, I'd write songs about, like, what's wrong with me, you know? <laughs> what the mm-hmm. heck is wrong with me? And uh, i tell you what, Mark, it, it wasn't until 2009 that I actually decided that I think I just want to live. Hmm. I, think I, want, I think I just want to live life. And I don't, I don't want to create any more turmoil for myself, you know? And, and, man, I'm still with my wife, and we just had a crappy marriage for, up to that point, 17 years of just hell. Going to jail, me going to jail, her going to jail, you know, cheating on each other, drugs and alcohol involved, you know, kids around the stuff. And every now and then I I I get it right. So I turn back to God, then then I'm then I'm way far from God and just just really just horrible. Yeah. You know, and just I guess just blatantly, this is who I've been since I was like twelve years old. I mean, I was raised by a great man, but he was gone from eight in the morning till 10 o'clock at night every day working. Hmm. So I didn't really have a dad around. Like, like, you know, he wasn't involved in my life. Like, like how I'm trying to be a little bit more involved with my kid's life. And so a lot of the stuff that we were doing, I mean, he didn't even, he didn't even know what was going on. Yeah. You know? and, and we, we were so good at lying and, and, and falsifying things that by the time that I would have needed some help, I mean, dude, I was steep. I was making money at school. I was selling dope in school, get, getting paid, making all kinds of cash money. I mean, from the time I was in ninth grade, I mean, I remember ninth grade, I was making like 300 bucks a week in drugs. And, and, and in 1985, that was good money for a ninth sure, grade. You, sure. you know, that was back when minimum wage was like 335 or something like that. <laughs> right, right. You know, so, I mean, I'm, I'm like, I'm rolling in, in ninth and 10th grade. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm on their radar at school of watch out for this Todd Stevens dude. He's a drug dealer. And I, I guess when any person backslides as the term goes, they just, they go back into what it was they were. They, you go back to what you did, hmm. you know? And so whenever I would like slip up from the Lord or not, not be walking right with the Lord. I mean, it was, it was bad. You know, I, I, it, and it's kind of, it's kind of one of the reasons why I'm kind of back to basics of just being fired up for the Lord, because I don't have balance, Mark. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what balance is. Like to let me just walk this middle line and be cool with that <laughs> side and that side. I, I can't do it. I mean, I'm going to either be like full tilt doing the wrong thing, or, or, or I got to be walking right because because there's there's no other way. But I, I've kind of found I found a peace now with God that that I've never really had before. I mean, a complete peace, like to where, dude, I just don't want to do wrong anymore because I I've learned that it 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 just it kills. You know, I mean it. it and then, you know, not to mention, I, I caught diabetes in the, in the mid-90s. So I'm diabetic, and I'm just slamming down booze and partying. And, and so about three years back, dude, I, I, uh, I started going blind. About halfway through the treatments and stuff, I went blind. My left eye, I lost my sight, went blind. And, um, you know, so it was at that time, I was just like, you know, Lord, what do I, what do, I do? You know, what, what, I mean, can I be, can this, is there any salvation from this? So I'm just going to go blind in my 40s, you know, and. I just feel like the Lord said, look, you know, you start obeying me, do what, do what I tell you, eat right, eat right and I'll heal you, you know? So, man, I started, I, you know, over the last three years, I've dropped 80 pounds, so I got up to like 310 pounds. Wow. You know, so got down to like 230 and still working on it, changing how I'm eating. I did have to have a surgery on my left eye to correct my retina, fix my retina, because my retina had torn off. Holy smokes. Yeah, it's crazy. And uh, so they got in there, they were able to, to restore my vision. It's not as good as it used to be. But I, it's funny, I bump into people, like I, I'll, I'll bump into girls at the store, you know, because my, my peripheral on my left side is just shot. 
You know, yeah, like yeah. it's way out in the front. So I'll be walking, I'll turn a boom up into someone, or sometimes my hands, I touch girls' butts and stuff. Like, dude, look, I, I can't see you. I'm, <laughs> I'm the I've got, I've had surgery in my eye. I didn't mean to do nothing, you know. But. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> I don't know what it is. That guy with his eye surgery has accidentally grabbed my ass five times. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Walk these evil streets with evil in my heart and mind I used to rip off liquor stores and hang with homies carrying knives A big bag of weed, a big bag of speed, and a trunk full of beer and booze My life on the line, running from one time, and I knew I was bound to lose I fell to my knees, cried, Jesus, please, can you come and change my world? Delivered me from weed and speed and corrected my evil lust for girls. And now I'm on the move, I got Christ to prove that he really changed my life. He hit me up with gear so I can go near the battle and fight the fight. I'm on for battle, I hear the battle cry, yeah. Jesus took this nothing and turned me into a relentless soldier. I'm on for battle. You go through your own Nebuchadnezzar phase for a minute, right? Yeah, eating grass. Eating yeah. grass, nails growing out. Yeah. yeah. Um, where, how did you get back, man? And, and what's going on now? What's the future look like? Me and my wife were split up. Uh, it, it, the, everything stayed the same. Like I said, it was just a vacillation of, I'd get so down low from something I did. And then it's like, I'd, I'd have enough common sense to look up and strive to try to do right for a while then crash and that went on nonstop man until 2009 or 2009 I, well actually in 2006 I started going to jail out here started, <laughs> I started getting jail for some different things I and, started going to jail out yeah you know so <laughs> what did uh, you do I started working out <laughs> oh, I got into gardening a lot how about yourself I started going to jail that's right that, that was the that was the uh that was the motivation. Okay. But, uh, you know, me and, me and my wife were trading off, going to jail. We'd get into fights and cops would get called and someone would go to jail. And so we split up at the top of 2010. Mm-hmm. We, were, we were split up. And at that time, I was, man, I was probably, at, at, I'd have to say my lowest rut just from my age and just what I was doing. I was drinking nonstop, just really depressed and not just, just at the bottom, man. And, and, yeah. and, and uh, i tell you what happened, man. My son was born. My my last son was born. And one night I'm drunk. I'm hungover. My wife calls me and says, hey, I'm, I'm in labor. You know, can you come get me? I'm like, sure. You know, so I, I come to get her and we start going at it. I mean, she's in labor about to have a baby. We're fighting, you know, arguing. <laughs> and 
So when it comes time, we're, we're going to leave. Yeah, well, I actually was. I was hungover at that point, but same difference, you know. Okay. Tail end of it. But so she had called her friend, and I don't blame her now. But she called her friend to pick her up. And so when I go out and we're going to leave, and she goes and gets this other car. And I'm, dude, I'm furious. I'm like, you called someone else up to come pick you up to go have our baby, you know? And and uh, so I, I just, I, I was had enough sense to just leave and not keep going at her. I, I left, but I was just thinking, okay, I'm not going to see my baby born because I wasn't going to go down there. You know, and well, four hours later, you know, by that time, then I was good and drunk. And four hours later, she calls me up and she's like, you want to come down here? And I was like, yeah, I was, I was calmed down enough. Now, they, they had told her to start pushing. You know, she's like, I can't have this baby without my husband here. And so they said, well, you better get him down here. <laughs> so she calls me. It takes me about, you know, probably 25, 30 minutes to get into the room. She sat there waiting to push. Wow. I mean, I didn't, I've never had a baby, but I understand once you sign to push, you don't wait. You know? Right, right. So she waited for me to push, and man, she had that baby. And dude, for the first time, I mean, this is the first time with any of my kids, I just start bawling uncontrollably. And I didn't even understand why. It's just like I was bawling, like just knew I was messed up. And then my that child was born uh, premature. He actually his umbilical cord was tied in two knots. Whoa! So he was probably gonna die. So he he came. I guess he knew when to come. He came premature. So we had to stay in the hospital because his lungs were underdeveloped and they, they had to put him in the, you know, the incubator and stuff. And, and so we were hanging out through the week and not fighting. We weren't, you know, we weren't living together or anything, but that was kind of the beginning of us starting to kind of start going to each other's houses. And, you know, I was drunk most of the time, but she just, she kept her mouth shut. And so when, by her keeping her mouth shut, what happened, Mark, was I, I began to, to see how jacked up I was because up to this point, everything wrong was always her fault. I was playing the Adam card hard, like the woman you gave to me. <laughs> uh-huh. She's so she's so messed up. And 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 God just started showing me who he was. And you know, God said, dude, you're you're an asshole. You know, because for, yeah. for for starters, like I, I got our best car. I'm driving around our best car. She's got this piece of junk car with all of our kids. You know, and it's like when God revealed that to me, I just started bawling too. Like he, you, you left your wife with your children with, with, with you know, a piece of crap car while you're driving around the better one. And I mean, just all this stuff, he just started pouring it on me and I started hearing him. I just started hearing God and I was crying. I was like, God, what do I do? You know, what, what, what do I do? I mean, I'm, I'm in a crap hole, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't do one push up. I couldn't walk up the stairs. I was winded. I was dying my heart. I was feeling like I was going to have a heart attack every day, numbness and tingling all down the side of my arm. I mean, I'm diabetic. My numbers are probably pushing 500 in the morning after an eight-hour fast, you know. Hmm. And he just said, quit drinking. And I'm like, you know, I've been trying to quit. He wouldn't even quit drinking. He just said, quit drinking. That's all I would say, quit drinking. And so, you know, having that in my head, I finally just, uh, it was the, it was July 21st. Like, I just kind of knew, like, this is the, I'm going to quit drinking today. And I told my wife, which I told her a hundred times, she was like, okay, honey, you know, like, right, 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 you know, and, and we actually hung out that day and I came over, I was good and drunk. I drank me three bottles of wine that morning and at three o'clock, dude, I took my last drink and I told her, that I'm done. I thought, you know, I'm done. And, and so for the next few weeks and days, you know, I went through the, the sweats, the shakes. I mean, I remember I, you know, I, I hung out with them for a few days, so I'm sitting down eating my meal with my kids, and I, I can't even finish a full plate of food. Like, they're eating more food than me because I'm sweating bullets, got to have the fan on me and just hmm. shivering, you know, just kicking alcohol because I dude, I got to a place where I my body needed it. I was drinking so bad, you know. Yeah. And, I, man, I just went through that. I, I just fought it every day and um, was able to do it. And 
then it just seemed like three weeks later, like it just lifted from me, Mark. And I mean, I guess only an alcoholic who's been delivered can understand. I just knew it was gone. Hmm. And I just, I didn't want to drink anymore. I mean, I didn't have to worry about seeing booze on a commercial or walking down the grocery aisle, beer, just, it yeah. was over. Yeah. You know? And I just started coming back to life again, man. Just started doing responsible things, you know, taking care of my kids, doing better stuff with my money. And, uh, I mean, long story short to where I'm at now, I mean, now I'm a pastor. <laughs> I'm a pastor at a church. Uh, I, uh, for three years, I did uh, this program called Rock and Prevention, where we uh, teach bullying prevention, drug and alcohol prevention, and character ed in public schools. All so right. I was going to, like, schools four to five times a week all over uh, the Midwest, um, Iowa, Kansas, Missouri, Minnesota, um, doing that. I did that for three years before I—, I Quit that job finally and got a little bit more heavy into the ministry than I'm dealing with now. Right now, I, I head up a program called Celebrate Recovery, which is a, a Christian 12-step program, uh, helping people kick their habits and hang-ups wherever they are. You know, whether awesome. it's booze, drugs, sex problems, uh, whatever. And, you know, what happened for me, Mark, man, was that I was able to allow, or I don't say if I can say I was anything, but I got the revelation of, Everything wrong in your family, everything wrong in your house is your fault. Hmm. And and when I when I embraced that, when I finally embraced it, everything wrong with my relationship, everything wrong with going on with my kids, it's my fault. And basically, what are you going to do about it? Hmm. What, what are you going to do about this mess that you've created? So when I came back and got back together with my wife, you know, for the first time in my life, I'm not badgering her about things. I'm not writing her about things. Just for that whole first year, I just, man, I, I just bit my tongue when I would have normally said something. I just didn't say anything. And the Lord said, what did you do wrong here? Hmm. What did you do wrong? And, 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 and man, I tell you, that was so hard, but trying to work on what did I do wrong? And let's just worry about that. And we'll just let God sort out the other stuff. Yeah. You know, and, you know, so a year later, my wife, she finally looks at me. She says, uh, I trust you now. Wow. You know, and she, she was scary for a second because I, I, I trust you, you know, and I'm like, well, <laughs> I'm not going nowhere, honey. I mean, this this is for good. I, I you know, I'm I'm gonna be a, a husband to you. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna be a dad, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna live for God. And uh I, I guess for me, Mark, I just had enough of the cesspool. Hmm. I mean, for like I just don't I don't want it. Yeah. Where well all the for for years, you know, even the times when I would quit drinking, because I knew it was the right thing to do. I still wanted to. I, I, I wanted to. Sure. You know, and I, I'd have to fight the desire to just want to do it. And I hated that so much, man, because it's like I could tell this is ruining me. But when I'd get to drinking, I'd do the, the normal alcoholic thing of making all kinds of excuses and everything else is something else is the reason. Right. And, and it was it was horrible that I actually had to go get I had to go get treatment, which was horrible for those guys for the first few months because I was just a butthead in those in those groups. But um <laughs> After studying up on, you know, just the nature of alcoholism and stuff and, and kind of paying attention, I was like, dude, you're, you're textbook alcohol. You fit all of this. You've done these things several times, like the, the gelmic <laughs> stages of of how it starts here, goes to blackouts, yeah. goes to, you know, and. Uh, Make no mistake about it. This is what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. 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 You, you, this is you. And and so, you know, uh, you know, the reason why no, people can't change, Mark, is is is, is, is denial. You know, you find some kind of way to, to deny what, what's really going on and what, what the truth is about you. And uh, so something else I started doing, which, you know, my wife hated at first, was that, you know, I got on Facebook and I'm just telling my, I just, I'm just letting it all hang out. 
Here's, uh-huh. here's who I've been. This is what I've done. This is this is this is the Todd you guys thought was Todd. This is this is who he's been. This is what this is how I've been. This is, mm-hmm. you know. And then uh, I think there for me there was a lot of freedom in that. There was a lot of uh, uh, ability to to change that to just become more stable. Um, and then you know, man, God just started opening doors for me. He just started he just started making things happen for me yeah. that probably the way that it should have been in the first place. Maybe the way that, you know, it would have flowed if I just would have been doing that in the first place. But uh, I, you know, looking back, I guess I just had to go through what I had to go through of, of, of several times of face plant, you know, face plants into, into horse manure, you know, of, yeah. hey, this is what you want. Here's what it tastes like. This is what it is. You uh-huh. know? And, and, uh, oh, here's your Turkish delight. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> it kind of sucks. I mean, you know, to, of when you think of what could have been, but I mean, we all know that there's, there's no, there's no point in that. Cause I am the age I am. And I did what I did. It was what it was. So in, in, in hindsight, it's good to say that, man, I've been married for 22 years to, I mean, me and my wife now, do we counsel couples? It's awesome. I, we, we don't have, I don't have no, I don't have a degree or any, uh, I don't have certificates to, as a counselor, but people, they just listen to our story. They hear some of the stuff we talk about. And they're like, can you talk with me and my husband? It's like, <laughs> sure. You know? Yeah. You know? And it's funny because we'll sit there and counsel some people and they're, they're telling their story and we're just looking at each other kind of laughing and Remember giggling. this? <laughs> yeah, giggling. You know, they're like, what are you laughing at? I'm sorry. We, we did that 10 times. You know? <laughs> you know, here's how you make it through that if you want it. Uh, you know? uh-huh. And, and uh, so we're kind of doing that. And it's kind of, it's kind of fulfilling to uh, to have some of the junk you went through actually be able to be used in a positive light. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, to be able to to help someone else that is way out there. And I don't know, God in his infinite wisdom, he He knows stuff that we just don't know. I mean, I, I'm learning how to get rid of the could have been's because one of the things I dealt with too, another reason why I probably drank so much, Mark, was I think I didn't forgive myself. I had I had bitterness against myself for not succeeding in what was my dream and what I thought should have been. And I didn't know how to deal with it. Right. I didn't know how to process it. Right. And, and then me and my wife fighting all the time, cause we were just completely textbook different from each other. Yeah. I mean, you know, for, to our skin colors, to the way we were raised to just like, how did we even get together? How, why do I love you? You know, <laughs> I think we said as each other a lot of times, but definitely there was a love there that stayed there for some strange reason that, you know, we couldn't get away from each other, but hmm. to to be able to now be in a, a position of where uh, we still don't have a perfect marriage. I'm like, I still don't like her. A lot of times she don't like me, <laughs> but, you know, we have this thing that transcends that. And, you know, the spirit of God in both of us, it helps us to work things out. And Man, you know, that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's a, that's a jewel, uh, you know, of learning, Hey man, to cherish my wife. I mean, I was just listening to, uh, you know, you and, and, and Peace 586 interview the other day. And, mm-hmm. and like so a lot of the things that I'm complaining about are mm-hmm. things that that brother probably would have loved to be able to just have going on in his life right now, you know? Yeah. And just, and just learning that like, man, this is what, you, this is what can't happen really ever again. These things can't happen ever again. You know, me yelling at my screen at my wife, like, no, n- never again. Never, you know, and, and the Lord just taught me a lot of things that um, here's how you're going to get by. Here's how you're going to make it. Here's how you're going to have peace. And really for the first time in a long time, Mark, I, I got, I got peace of heart. 
I mean, life is life. Life is hard for everybody, but I got I got peace of heart, and that that's uh, that's great for me, you know. Ah, yes. Excel. Todd Stevens, the man, the father, the prodigy. I hope you enjoyed that. Tried to give you some minutes while I'm in full work slash new Stavesacre album mode. As soon as uh, the NASCAR season's over and I get a couple of these Stavesacre jams under my belt, I hope to have a few more shows out for you. You can find Todd's new album on iTunes, but you can also just hit him up on Facebook and say hello. Which you should do. Uh, That would be kind of awesome. Tonight we heard Jane's Addiction's Mountain Song sped up as if you were in the car with me back in 1980-something, nine. Uh, Followed by Ocean Size off the same album, Nothing Shocking. We also heard Stop from Ritual De Lo Habitual. Uh, Quick side note, both those albums were done by a certain Mr. Dave Jordan. You should know him because his engineer was the one and only the late Brian Carlstrom. Producer, engineer of among many others, the first three Stavesacre albums and the Bull Takes Fighter EP. We heard Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit off of Nevermind, Public Enemies Fight the Power and Bring the Noise, Criss Cross's Jump, Ice Cube's The Nigga You Love to Hate off America's Most Wanted. Yep, I just said that because that's what it's called. Looking Down the Barrel of a Gun from Beastie Boys' Paul's Boutique, the cover of Stevie Wonder's Higher Ground that made the Red Hot Chili Peppers world famous, Epic, which made Faith No More world famous, and Everyday Sunshine, which really, really, really should have made Fishbone world famous. Killing in the Name of by Rage Against the Machine, Slam by Onyx and Biohazard, uh, and Fallen, a collaboration between Teenage Fan Club and De La Soul. Both of those are on the Judgment Night soundtrack. And finally, Tipper Gore's Bane, Body Count. Doing There Goes the Neighborhood. That was for Mr. Billy Rogers. A song that could easily have been called Who the Hell Are the Bad Brains? <laughs> I mean, seriously, if you listen to it, it's like they never heard of the Bad Brains. Okay. And of course, XL's The Wrath to Come off of the new album Offensive Truth, The Right One, a hit song that never was. Sodom and America, the title track from XL and DBD's first album uh, featuring yours truly. And finally, Armed for Battle off the second half of Offensive Truth. Any and all of their music uh, by any of, was done by any of my bands, White Lighter, Stavesacre, who knows. This show was produced by Billy Power of Urban Achiever Studios. I'll try and have a new show out before the election, suggesting a stance I think that might uh, surprise you. Might surprise you. Uh, My hope being that not all minds are made up. Until next time, love them all, let God sort them out. Be good. Rainbow out. Rainbow out.